So as I said before, our scripture this morning is a story of Jesus getting angry in the temple. We read it often during the season of Lent, and uh, that scripture comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. But before I read that to you, I invite you once again to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your Spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, John chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here, stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? And Jesus answered them, I'll destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said then, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So with this new spring weather, uh, Julianne and I have been inspired to do a little spring cleaning around the house. We try to do this as much as we can. We usually start uh, in the in the uh, with our closets and with our clothes, trying to find those clothes that no longer fit us anymore. Usually, every single year, I give away a, a rainbow of golf shirts that somehow shrunk in the wash. I think that's what happened to them anyway. Or I find T-shirts that have little slogans on them, like "My dog is my alarm clock." I don't know why I ever bought a T-shirt like that, but I usually give those shirts away as well. Spring cleaning is a bit of a messy business. When we start cleaning around the house, we realize we probably shouldn't have waited to spring to start cleaning. Uh, We'll go clean underneath the the couch and we'll find mountains of dog hair that could stuff pillows, or we'll clean behind the refrigerator and we'll find cat treats that got kicked back there. It's, It's messy to do a little bit of spring cleaning, but We also find that from time to time we find things that we've been looking for when we do a little spring cleaning. Treasures that we've been looking for, maybe even things we don't expect. For instance, we were cleaning in the house just this past week and I found a watch that had slipped down in the, in the, the couch cushions and I don't really wear a watch, but it was nice to find that watch. I had been missing it. Or I was cleaning underneath the couch and we found a dog bone that my dogs had been fighting over and they went right back to fighting over it once we found them. I even, and this is true, I found a pair of socks under the couch that I had only worn once and I had been looking for for quite some time. In full disclosure, I washed those socks and I'm wearing them this morning. 
It was great to find those little treasures. And we, we find those treasures out in the yard when I start to clean up the yard and pull weeds and things like that. The previous owners of our house had grandchildren, and so I will be working in the yard and cleaning things up, and I'll find little Legos and little Matchbox cars and things like that. And it's a wonder to find those little things, those little surprises, when we're willing to do the messy work of the spring cleaning. We always read this passage in the gospel that I just read this morning during the springtime because we call it the, the cleansing of the temple. Maybe that's why we read it during springtime, because Jesus goes into the temple to, to cleanse the temple or to maybe purify the temple, so to speak. Actually, we read it because it's the season of Lent, and this passage in, in, is found in, in some form or fashion in every single one of the Gospels, but in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's found much later in the Gospels. We often read it during Holy Week. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, this cleansing of the temple takes place on Palm Sunday, just after Jesus comes in to Jerusalem riding on the donkey. He goes straight to the temple and, and cleanses the temple, just as we read. But in the Gospel of John, it happens first right at the beginning, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus goes to the temple, and as you know, we've talked about the temple before. Maybe you've heard and remember what the temple was all about. The temple was the most holy place, the most important place in the life of, of all the Jews, and it was the place where they felt the closest to God. In many ways, the, the temple was a gift from God, a chance for them to grow closer to God through the, the sacrificial system that God had provided through the law for the people. And while that system might seem a little foreign to us or a little strange to us, the truth of the matter is that system meant grace for these people. It meant love for these people. It meant forgiveness for them. By participating in this system that God had provided, this was the way they experienced the grace of God. They grew closer to God. And the purpose of this gift of the temple was to allow other people to come and experience God and grow closer to God themselves. And within the temple, there were people there who were there to, to help people grow closer to God. And that's what was happening in these outer courts of the temple. The, the outer court of the temple was a place where anybody could come. Jews, Gentiles, anybody could come. And, and there, there were people there to help you participate in this sacrificial system. There were money changers there who would come. And because the, the Roman money was considered unpure in the Jewish law, they would change that money out for, for Jewish temple money, temple money, so that you could use it within the temple to not only pay your offering and pay your temple tax to support the temple, but also so that you could purchase animals for the sacrificial system that they had. There were also lots of animals there in this courtyard, animals that were proper and approved for the sacrificial system so that if you couldn't bring animals for home or if you didn't have any animals, you could use this temple money and, and purchase a proper animal that would be pleasing to God and could be sacrificed on your behalf. It was the way that they experienced God and experienced God's grace. And as you might imagine, there's a lot of hustle and bustle going on in that outer court of the temple and a lot of money changing hands. And just like now, anytime there's a lot of money changing hands, there's a lot of people trying to get their hands on that money. And that's what was happening in the outer courts when Jesus showed up. The, the Romans saw all of this commerce going on in the temple and they wanted to find ways to get a little bit of that money for themselves. And there were the people in the temple, the money changers, who were there to try to help make sure people were able to participate in this system. They wanted a little bit of money in their own pocket. And the same thing with the people who were in charge of the temple. The, the high priests, they saw this as an opportunity to, to put a little bit of money in their own pocket. 
And they saw all of this going on. Jesus saw all of this going on and what was supposed to be a gift for the people, an opportunity for them to grow closer to God. The people, they weren't using it for that. Instead, they were abusing this gift, using it for their own gain. And it made Jesus angry. Now, like I said in the children's moment, Jesus actually gets angry a lot in the Gospels. We don't like to think about an angry Jesus, but Jesus gets angry all the time, and this is a prime example. He gets angry and and drives all these money changers out of the temple, drives all the animals out of the temple, and for once, maybe it makes us a little uncomfortable to see Jesus like that. But I'll have to tell you from time to time in my own life, I've used this example to justify my own anger when I get angry from time to time. Well, even Jesus gets angry, so it's okay for me to get angry. But as I said before, what's important about that anger is what we do with that anger. There are times when we get angry and we assume God's probably angry at the same people that we're angry of. After all, we've got everything right, of course. God would be angry with the same people that we're angry with. But When we use that anger to be constructive, to build up the kingdom of God, to build up relationships, then we're using that anger in the right way. But when we use it to be destructive, well, then it's not only hurtful to other people and hurtful to us, but it's contrary to who God calls us to be. I remember years ago, I was uh, visiting my grandfather in South Georgia. My brother and I were visiting, and he took us to this little pond that was owned by a friend of his, a man named Mr. Smith, and and we would go and fish out of this pond. I'm going to tell you, this was the greatest fishing hole I've ever been to. They just had brim in the the pond, but I could just put a little uh, little cricket on the end of my cane pole, throw it in, and and count to five seconds, and I a brim would be pulled out. I caught six or seven fish within just a few minutes. It was easily the best honey hole I've ever been to as far as fishing goes. And it was amazing to catch all of these fish. But while I was sitting there looking at this pond, I noticed that right through the middle of the pond was a fence. There was a a chain link fence on one bank and a chain link fence on the other. And I knew the only way I could get to the other side of the pond, unless I wanted to swim, was to to climb over that fence and walk to the other side. So I asked my grandfather, Granddaddy, can I climb over the fence and go fish on the other side? And he said, no, we can't go over there. We have to stay on this side. And I, I said, doesn't Mr. Smith own that side of the pond? And he says, well, no, Mr. Smith's brother owns that side of the pond and they don't ever talk to each other anymore. And I said, well, what happened? Why don't they talk to each other anymore? And he said, well, they've just been angry with each other for a long, long, long time. And I looked at my brother who was sitting there fishing with me with his own cane pole. And I thought, I sure hope I never get angry enough at my brother to stop talking to him for a long, long time. That's what happens when anger consumes us, when anger overwhelms us. It becomes something that's destructive rather than constructive. And what anger is supposed to do is help us to to build up the body of Christ, inspire us to do good things, healthy things, helpful things rather than hurtful things. I was telling you this morning in in the children's sermon about Mr. Rogers, and I think I've told you this before, but when Mr. Rogers, before he went on to be the Mr. Rogers that we know, when he graduated college down in Orlando, Florida, he decided he was going to go to seminary to be a minister. But before he went on to seminary, he was watching television one day and saw the children's programming on television, and he got angry. 
He got angry because all of the children's television programming were clowns throwing pies in each other's faces and people being loud and obnoxious and and teaching children bad habits all in the name of being funny. He got angry and he decided, I think we can use this gift, this gift of television for something better than this. And so instead of going straight to seminary, he went to work in a television company to learn about television so that he could make television a a tool for spreading the gospel. That's why I think of Mr. Rogers as a televangelist. But that's what we do when we get angry, when we use our anger to build up the body of Christ, to do something constructive and helpful rather than destructive and hurtful. That's what Jesus Christ calls us to do when we get angry. We get angry just like Jesus, but when we use it to to build up the body of Christ, to build up the kingdom of God, then that anger serves us and serves the body of Christ by planting those seeds where the fruits of the Spirit can grow. Now, I've talked a lot about anger this morning, but that's not really the true purpose of this passage. This isn't just about helping us get in touch with our anger. Jesus was angry so we can be angry. No, the purpose of this passage is to talk to us and teach us about reform. Because all of us in our lives need a little spring cleaning from time to time. All of us in our lives need to remember that we sometimes take the gifts of God for granted just like these Jewish people were taking the temple for granted. All of us from time to time use the gifts of God or rather abuse the gifts of God for our own purpose rather than for the purpose of God. Take, for instance, our church. We come to church and we're thankful to be back here together, but there are times when we use this church for our own needs rather than using it to draw people to Christ, just like Jesus Christ called us to. We use the church at times to, to, to build ourselves up, to make ourselves feel comfortable and safe for who we are, rather than using it in a way to draw other people to God. We can think about it. This is a good time. It's springtime after all. It's Lent to think about ways that we use our church in ways that are contrary to what God calls us to do. The ways that we spend our money to to help ourselves rather than to help those people in need. The ways that we spend our time to help ourselves rather than to help others in need. The way we worship and, and worship in ways that are only comfortable for us and not comfortable or helpful for drawing people in who have never been to church before. That's what being reformed is all about. Every now and then taking a long, hard look at ourselves and saying, maybe God needs to flip me upside down and help me look at the world in a different way. I'm proud to say that we've done that before, not just here in our congregation, but in in our denomination. That's what being reformed is all about. Take, for instance, the, the communion table here. For those of you who grew up in the Presbyterian church, you might remember that for a long, long time, if you came to the communion table to receive communion, you were supposed to be a baptized Christian. That's what our Brook of Order said. In fact, when I was a child, I not only had to be baptized, but my parents thought, and many of my my adult family members, my aunts and uncles and grandparents thought, that not only should I be baptized, but I should be able to articulate what the table meant, or I shouldn't be able to come to the table. But over time, we started to realize that this table was not a place to to draw boundary lines and show people who belonged and who didn't. The table was supposed to be a gift from God that drew people in, that called people into a deeper relationship with God. And so over time, 
the way we've looked at the table has changed. In fact, in 2016, right before I came here, we changed the book of the order, a book of order, and this is what it says now. It says, the opportunity to eat and drink with Christ is not a right bestowed upon the worthy, but a privilege given to the undeserving who come in faith, repentance, and love. All who come to the table are offered the bread and cup, regardless of their age or their understanding. All who come to this table are able to eat and drink because we know that this is a table where God calls us all to draw us in. It is a gift from God that we should be using to build up the body of Christ rather than to set boundaries and tear it down. Like I said, it's springtime. It's Lent time. We're supposed to be looking at ourselves and thinking about ways that Jesus Christ might want us to to flip ourselves upside down, to look at our church, and maybe even to look at ourselves in a different way. Maybe we need to take this time, this springtime, and do a little spring cleaning of our own. Not just ways that our church can be different, but ways that, that we can be different. I have to tell you, I have to confess to you, that I take Jesus Christ for granted all the time, just like these disciples did in our passage this morning. I like to think that Jesus Christ is on my side. Jesus Christ gets angry at the people I get angry at. But a lot of times I take Jesus for granted. I take Jesus for granted when I waste my money and should spend it on people in need. I take Jesus for granted when I lose my temper. And my wife can tell you I lose my temper from time to time. I take Jesus for granted when I go out into the world and assume that God's forgiveness is in my back pocket. And so I don't act the way I need to act. Now, if that sounds like you, I want you to take heart. Because as I said, it's springtime. It's Lent time. There's always time for a little spring cleaning to be done. And don't get me wrong, it's messy business. It's messy doing that spring cleaning. But every now and then, if we're willing to do that messy work, you might find some things you've been looking for. You might find some treasures that were there the whole time. To the glory of God. Amen.